Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think one of the most fascinating questions in sports is how do you find success? Obviously, in any sport, there's a champion, but ultimately, that sort of ultimate success, that's not the only way, I believe, to have a successful season. If it was, then almost everyone would be miserable almost all the time because in any one year, there's only going to be one champion, and in most years, that's not going to be you. The law of averages just sort of dictates that. It's hard for Georgia fans to imagine that because all they've done excuse me sorry about that all they've done is win for such a long time but nonetheless it is true that in most years you won't be the winner so therefore you know sometimes success can be kind of defined in a slightly different way in fact if you compare across the sec teams like georgia alabama maybe lsu kind of define success one way but teams like Ole miss mississippi state kentucky they might define success as something different for some teams it's national championship or bust for some teams they're just sort of dreaming of one day making the college football playoff there are other teams that would like to win a bowl game you know or even make a bowl there's just sort of different ways in which you can be successful same thing you know, I do this show here from the Atlanta area. If you look across the professional sports landscape in Atlanta right now, the Atlanta Braves, a fixture in the playoffs, recent World Series champion, their definition of a successful season might be way up here. The Atlanta Falcons, who seemingly are about as irrelevant as anybody could be, you know, just kind of getting back onto a national landscape might be their definition of success. They probably have a more meager definition, in other words than uh, what a team like the Braves might have. Success, oftentimes, depending on your sport, depending on your history, depending on the team, depending on a lot of factors, can be a little bit different. And so with that in mind, I think it's kind of interesting to look at that because, after all, this has been kind of in the news uh, as of late. There was a moment the other day, the Milwaukee Bucks, we don't talk NBA around here, obviously, but this kind of sets us up where I want to go today. You know, Giannis, I won't even try to say his last name, but the Greek freak, you know, the great NBA star Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks, they were asked in the first round of the playoffs, and he was asked at the press conference at the conclusion of that series what I thought was kind of a pretty interesting question of, uh, do you think this season was a failure? And I think that's a fair question. I thought Giannis gave a pretty interesting answer to that, and I'm going to play this right now. Eventually, we'll get to Georgia football on this, but I want to play this for the context of, hey, sometimes trying to figure out what success and failure in sports is is a little bit tricky, a little bit different. Let me give you what turned out to be a little bit of a viral exchange between Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks and a reporter on the notion of success and failure for a team that had championship expectations. Take a listen to Giannis here for a moment. Do you view this season as a failure? Do you get get the promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every, Every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal. Right, which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championships. The other nine years was a failure? That's what you're telling me. It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. So... That's Giannis. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. That was a, an answer that kind of went viral the other day. Many of you may have heard that before. Maybe if you're hearing it for the first time, maybe you think it is as interesting as I do. Where Giannis says, hey, Michael Jordan had more years when he did win the championship than than he did. Does that mean that he was a failure? I would say to Giannis on that, in the years that Jordan didn't win a championship, he probably did view himself as a failure because that's the competitive fire that he probably had. And if you don't have enough of that, then maybe you probably need a little bit more. But then at the end of that clip, Giannis saying, hey, there's no failure in sports. This is all about stair steps to success and, you know. There's a thing that sometimes people say, like in kind of like the, uh, I guess the power of positive thinking world of, hey, there's no, there's no failure, there's only feedback. You know, it's like you either succeed or or you learn or something along those lines. Well, but in real life, there is failure, right? You know, Giannis says there's no failure in sports. I got news for you. If you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan today and you just saw your superstar, you know, player and your team that had championship expectations, you know, dumped out of the playoffs after the first round, you know, if you care about that team, if you care about the NBA, I think you do view the Bucks as a failure. So Giannis can pretend that there is no failure, but there absolutely is. Michael Jordan had six championship years, but the years in which he did win a championship, yeah, Jordan probably viewed those as a failure. So to me, this is an example of kind of getting it wrong. Of course, there's failure in sports. And properly defining what success and failure is, I think, is probably a pretty appropriate thing. 
which brings us back to Georgia football. How do you find success for Georgia for the upcoming year? After all, Georgia has won 29 of its last 30 games. Georgia has won two straight national championships. Georgia has a chance to go for three in 23. But just for the sake of conversation, because we're having fun today, what if they don't do that? What if they fall short of winning a championship? Does that mean for Georgia this upcoming season, the the, the, sealier, the, the season might be a, a failure? Well, Kirby Smart was asked the other day, actually it was just yesterday, he was on the sports radio station 680 The Fan. Uh, Kirby's actually promoting a book, which is kind of funny to think about Kirby Smart on a book tour for some reason. I don't know why. Seeing him at the Barnes & Noble and Hey Hira signing, signing books. It's just it's sort of a strange thing uh, to me nonetheless. But I guess he and Lauren Smith teamed up together, did a book. Uh, Kirby is also part of the David Pollock Golf Tournament and uh, Kirby's being interviewed about his book, but the subject came up on 680 The Fan, Atlanta Sports Radio Station, about whether or not with you know the idea of an unprecedented level of success at stake for the upcoming season, the chance to, as we see around here, go for three in 23, you know, Kirby was asked how much pressure he felt to get that done, and Kirby gave an interesting answer on the idea of pressure, but then kind of took the conversation in the direction of exactly how he's defined success. And in light of that kind of being a little bit of a hot topic lately in sports anyway, and always a pretty fascinating you know, discussion point no matter, no matter when, what Kirby Smart has to say about the pressure he feels for the upcoming season, the way in which he defines success for himself and his team, I think this is pretty interesting. Let's hear Kirby Smart from 680 The Fan. Yeah, I don't, uh, no more, no greater pressure than it was last year. Yeah. So it's like it's just every year's independent of the previous. You start from scratch. You look at your team. You do the best job you can. You probably need a little luck, just like we had some against Ohio State. I mean, at the end of the day, I could be sitting here and and, and had lost that game, and I still think we'd have had a successful season. Um, certainly, the success is measured by rings and championships, but internally, we measured on did we get the most out of our team, and we're going to do the same thing this year with 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 our team just coming back. So very interesting answer from Kirby Smart there on 680 The Fan. Now, I'm going to be kind of honest and transparent here for a moment. Like, like as a sports talk show host type person, someone who screams into a microphone for a living, and there's a certain, like, I guess, affinity for hot takes you sort of have to have, you know, sort of blowhardy type opinions you sort of have to have to be able to do a job like this. I've always kind of liked that thing, any kind of type of thing anyway. But if you didn't have some of that, you probably couldn't do a job like this each and every day. And... When Kirby Smart says, oh, yeah, even if we'd lost Ohio State, I still could have you know, potentially viewed that season as a success. That is, in some respects, kind of fertile soil for hot takes because it would be very easy to want to jump on that and say, oh, how dare Kirby Smart say that losing to Ohio State would have been a successful season. This is Georgia. They're the reigning national champions. You can't let the Ohio State Buckeyes come into your own state after all that game was played in Atlanta. You can't let them beat you right there in the college football playoff. You've got to aspire to more than that. You can't call it a successful season if you lose to Ohio State. And the truth is, if we didn't like Kirby quite so much, and if it wasn't for the fact that Kirby Smart was obviously succeeding at such a high level, that answer probably would bother some of us a little bit more. But the fact of the matter is we know how Kirby Smart's wired. We know that Kirby Smart views uh, only the ultimate winning as success. He probably doesn't even really mean what he's saying right there anyway. Kirby Smart's just very aware of power dynamics, and he's not going to give power over to anyone else, someone like me for certain, or anybody else in the media to kind of define success for him. He's just simply not going to play that game. So I think we kind of forgive that answer from Kirby because I think deep down we sort of know he doesn't necessarily probably mean that because when it comes to competitive fire, probably no one has more of that burning inside of him than Kirby Smart does. But nonetheless, it sort of does, I think, set up a, an interesting discussion and an interesting debate. That Smart says, I don't feel pressure this year any more than I feel pressure last year, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, that every year is independent of itself. And in every year, we're trying to succeed to the utmost level that we possibly can with, as Smart says, the definition of our success being, hey, did we get the most possible out of this team? As I said before, ultimately, that's probably kind of a sort of a coach speak type way to say all of this. There's actually probably a more direct way to have this discussion. So, let me answer my own question for a moment. What is the definition of success for Georgia? I think for a team like Georgia, who would sort of stand as a placeholder here for the kind of top power in college football, this is a, this is a thing for a Georgia. This probably fits for an Alabama. It probably fits for an Ohio State, even though they've had you know a few years of underachieving, probably uh, to put it mildly. Uh, for those teams that are kind of at that very very top level, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, 
sometimes LSU, maybe another team one day kind of being in there from that sort of USC, Texas, somewhere like that. But for right now, it's kind of just those three. It's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia from that group. You know, what is the definition of success? How do you determine a successful season? To me, it's as simple as this. Do you give yourself a chance to win a national championship? Are you in the college football playoff discussion? Do you qualify for the college football playoff? And if you do, if you're in that situation more often than not, then the law of averages dictate when your career is done, when your time is done, when your era is done, then the national championships will probably have worked themselves out for you. So in other words, is Kirby Smart a very successful coach? Yes, he is. Is he very successful because he's won two national championships? Yes, but I would add more to it than that. To me, why is Georgia won back-to-back national championships? Because since Kirby Smart really kind of got the Georgia program going in 2017, Georgia has been a fixture in the college football playoff conversation. They haven't always made the college football playoff. They did in 2017, 2018, 2019. They didn't. They, they just missed out. Had a chance to make it and just kind of missed out. 2021, 2022, back in the college football playoff, and lo and behold, they've won a couple of them. So to me, for success for Georgia in any given year is about being in the college football playoff conversation giving yourself a chance to be in the big game, have a chance to win it, and then see what happens coming up after that. So it's important to keep that in mind for the upcoming year. And obviously, those of us who love Georgia football and those of us who've sort of dedicated our life to sort of supporting this program, if and when Georgia loses a game, and sometime in the future it's bound to happen, Georgia's just sort of likely to lose, and one of these days it's maybe even going to lose a big game, where there could be a season sometime in the future that does not result in Georgia winning a national championship. Hard to imagine that being true, but there, there's just sort of a chance that, that, that one day that could be the uh, case. And so, therefore, if you only say, well, I'm only happy if Georgia wins a national championship. Anything less than that, I'm, I'm not happy. Anything less than that is, is kind of a miserable failure. Well, if, if that's the standard you have in life, you're probably destined to have some unhappy years but when you put yourself in the college football playoff conversation when you put yourself in contention year after year after year story of college football history told over a long arc when you give yourself that chance then you do give yourself a chance to do what georgia's done the last couple of years which is collect national championships georgia has a chance this year to do something unprecedented to win a third straight national title. And I believe there's a very good chance that they will do that. But the way you get there is by giving yourself a chance. You take care of your business in the regular season. When you are a big favorite, which Georgia will be in almost every regular season game that it plays, you knock down those opponents and you get yourself as a, into the qualification to be in the college football playoff. And then when you get into a knockdown drag out in the playoff, and almost certainly one of those may come, like it did against Ohio State this past season, then you let the chips fall where you may. And if somehow Georgia comes up short, then you dust yourself off, you come back, you do it all over again. I think Smart understands a lot about the uh, process of winning here. Obviously, as he says, winning championships is the name of the game. But ultimately, putting yourself in contention for those championships year after year after year, told over the long haul, that may actually be the ultimate definition of success. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. That's what we call our first and 15. We take some con- uh, comments. We do some extra content available only on our own platform. Then after that, we go far and wide at 10 a.m. across every video platform, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, delivering the show for you. Of course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Rep. And as a podcast, Apple, Spotify, everything else out in between. Some of you listen directly on SoundCloud. Some of you wait for us to post at theworldfamousdognation.com. However you choose to be a part of our show, we are just really glad you're here. And we are super thankful to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible today. Foundation waterproofing issues. Those are the two things that the folks at ESOG work so hard to make sure they provide great solutions for you. Because here's what they understand. Homeowners want to protect their home. Homeowners want to do the best they can to make sure their home is protected against any sort of weird thing that might happen. And oftentimes when that rain creeps in, water, you see it showing up, crawl space, garage, you know, down in the basement sometimes you even have that sort of standing water show up there. When you have those things kind of pop up, you uh, know that that's potentially the sign of a serious problem. It's the kind of thing that water left unchecked over time can do some real big time damage. That's where our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia want to step up and do great work for you. The same thing is true when it comes to your foundation issues, too. You know what this looks like when you see that unsettled ground or you see those cracks in the wall, something along those lines. That, once again, can be the sign of a serious problem. Well, guess what? Engineered Solutions of Georgia has the word solutions right there in their name. They are a solutions-based company. They want to help you solve your problem. Simple fix 
more substantial work, whatever. They have an entire team of engineers on staff. There's really nobody else in our marketplace that can say they have that level of resource dedicated to helping you solve your problems. It's one of the reasons why they're proud partners of UGA, trusted by UGA as a company that's doing great work for folks in our area for a long time. They're also proud partners uh, of us here on Dog Nation Daily, too. Longtime friends of ours, as loyal as any of our partnerships have been, our friends in Engineered Solutions of Georgia. I, I love them. I believe in them. And I truly, heartily recommend them to you if you find yourself facing a foundation or a waterproofing issue. I want you to give them a call today. Very friendly folks. Uh, great to work with. Jay and the entire team over there. Give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley coming up in just a moment. Fun stuff to do with him today, talking Georgia football. Normally, it's Jake Fromm on a Tuesday. We're going to catch up with Jake uh, a little, or at least it has been traditionally Jake Fromm on a Tuesday. We're going to catch up with him a little bit later on this week. But prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And speaking of Jake Fromm, I want to kind of lead to something that Jake said uh, coming up in just a little bit. But let me kind of begin this way. So one of the things I've been, and I think this probably happens every year where I kind of get hung up on a topic during the summertime, and you may hear me mention it four or five times. I think I've probably done that a little bit as of late uh, related to the fact that we'll all look at the Georgia schedule here for this upcoming season and we'll see something, a schedule that feels a little bit soft, right? You know, you got the Oklahoma game that was supposed to take place. That game was forced to be canceled, and so therefore you've got a lot of non-conference games of very, very little node. You get the game against South Carolina, which might be kind of fun, but Georgia obviously obliterated South Carolina a year ago. And then at the end of the month, Georgia has to go to Auburn. And one of the things that I've you know, kind of wondered is, well, you know, how ready is Georgia going to be for Jordan-Hare Stadium, which historically has been a tough place to play? We don't quite yet know how good Auburn's going to be this season, but we do know historically Jordan-Hare Stadium can be a tough place to play. How ready can Georgia be for that game with a starting quarterback, if we assume it's going to be uh, Carson Beck, but no matter who it is, it's going to be a quarterback that's kind of not really dealt with an environment like that in the past. It's going to be the biggest test that Georgia faces that early in the season, and what in those early games can Georgia do to get ready for all that when it takes place? And maybe the 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 weight of a question like that is enhanced by some of what Auburn's done as of late. We talked yesterday on the show about Auburn adding Peyton Thorne, the uh, quarterback from uh, Michigan State. We said, hey, on the top end here, this might end up to be a, a, a pretty good thing for Auburn. The best of Peyton Thorne is probably an SEC-level quarterback. For a guy that played a good bit at Michigan State, when he was at his best, he's pretty good. And a quarterback who kind of meets the SEC threshold, working with a coach like Hugh Freeze, who's gotten a lot of other quarterbacks before, that could be quite successful. Now, it's also fair to point out that Thorne didn't always play his best against the best competition when he was in East Lansing. And if that be the case, then he may not even beat out Robbie Ashford. But it certainly seems like he might be the slight favorite uh, to win that starting quarterback job there at Auburn. And certainly a lot of folks there in you know the state of Alabama or you know near the Auburn program, they're pretty happy about this. I saw where Paul Feinbaum made an appearance recently on WJOX, a sports radio station in Birmingham, and he said on the uh, show this week with uh, Cole Kubelik and Greg McElroy that uh, Auburn fans should be jumping for joy today. He says last week was great because not only did they bring in Thorne, the quarterback, we talked about this yesterday, also brought in uh, Burton, Caleb Burton from, uh, from Ohio State, the wide receiver. He says, uh, he says, you can quibble about Michigan State's production, quibble about anything, but the worst, he's an alternative. And at the best, he's your starter and has got a lot of experience. Uh, Feinbaum says, it's a great time for Auburn. The malaise, the Brian Harson era has ended. Last couple of years of Gus Malazan, he says, I think they're in a really good place right now. And um, so, obviously, Paul Feinbaum kind of talking about Auburn there right now. One of the things we've said is, you know, Auburn goes on the road to Texas A&M the week before it hosts Georgia. And while A&M will be the favorite there in that game, I think A&M could be improved this year. That's the kind of game that Auburn would have a chance to maybe pull an upset. And so if Auburn could upset A&M on the road, come back home and host Georgia, then you are potentially creating what could be a fairly raucous atmosphere. Now, is Auburn good enough to live up to that and kind of, you know, you know play big in a game like that? Maybe not. But could, could it at least be good enough to make the atmosphere feel pretty big for a game like that? Maybe so. So the question we kind of come back to is, well, what then does Georgia do? How do you get ready for a game like that if you don't really have anything on your schedule prior to that to prepare a guy, if we assume that Carson Beck's going to be the Georgia starting quarterback, um, how do you get Beck ready for that when he hasn't been in that atmosphere before? And so last week, a guy that certainly thrived in a lot of road games, the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm, he was on Friday's show. If you get a chance to go back and listen to this, we had some good recruiting stuff from Jeff Sintel on that show. 
and uh, some really good stuff from Jake Fromm, particularly on this particular topic. I asked him, how do you get ready for a big road game when you haven't been there before? And I thought that Jake gave an interesting answer to that, and there's one aspect in particular that I want to pull out from this, but let me let you hear Jake Friday's show on the challenge of going on the road in the SEC. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're just going to have to find a way to block everything out. Um, so it's going to be a hostile environment. It's going to be loud. Uh, man, just uh, trust in your preparation, trust in the process, uh, and really trust your teammates, man, because uh, it's just, just, just you guys. That, that's what's kind of really, really fun to me about going on the road in the SEC. You know, when you walk into to Neyland or you walk into Jordan-Hare, I mean, it's just, it's just all the opposing team's color, mm-hmm. and everybody's against you, and all you got is your dudes on the sideline and your coaching staff. That's it. So, uh, man, I, I love being able to go, in, go into those environments uh, and fight our way out uh, and come up with a win. So, I love that. I know he's going to look forward to playing that as well. So, I think that's pretty interesting because what Jake says is, hey, when you get in a situation like that, when, when 90% of the stadium's cheering against you, now oftentimes Georgia has a huge contingent of fans on the road, but it's still – of the majority of fans in the stadium cheering against you when they when they celebrate every time something bad happens for you then you really have to lean into the trust you have in your teammates you have to look around and say hey these are the guys that i want to go to battle with this is the guy that i believe has my back and i'm going to show him that i've got his back we are here for each other we are going to be connected to each other that's what jake Fromm says is important now jake did not do this intentionally but think about that as an idea here for a moment Think about how much Kirby Smart has preached that over and over over the course of the last couple of years. The notion that no team out there is better connected, no team out there has more trust, player to player, player to coach, coach to player, than what Georgia has. And the words of Smart in the past on this could be even more relevant this year when you have an inexperienced quarterback going into hostile road environments, certainly like what will be seen at Auburn there in September 30th, and even late in the year when you talk about doing the same thing at Tennessee, which could be a much better team, all of a sudden that con- that, that connection component could be really, really, really important. Jake Fromm says, hey, that's the way we won road games back in my era, and that's the way that Georgia will kind of win those right now. So as a reminder, this is what Kirby Smart said about that idea just as recently as a, a year ago prior to last season. Here's Kirby Smart. For us, it really steers down to one, one cultural belief that we have a connection that's greater than our opponent. We're all going to be tough. We're all going to be physical in the SEC. But can we be better connected together? Can we have one plus one equals three? Because for us, one plus one equals three means we get more together than we do apart. And this team believes that. I mean, I love that. First of all, I just kind of like that as an idea in general because I do believe that the Georgia players do truly believe that. Some of that sort of sounds touchy-feely or something like that, but I honestly think this Georgia program really feels that that has been kind of the secret sauce, the the the, the secret ingredient, some of the success they've enjoyed over the course of the last couple of years. And Jake Fromm also kind of pointed that out as this is how you win road games. So legitimately, this has been on my mind of, hey, you know, I – I'm not quite so sure that the Georgia schedule in September doesn't any real favors because eventually once business picks up, is Georgia ready for that? Well, Jake says, here's how you get ready because eventually everybody has to do something for the first time. And if we believe that Carson Beck's going to be the Georgia starting quarterback, eventually he's going to be on the road playing in the SEC for the first time. And you better believe those Auburn students, those Auburn fans, are going to know that, that this is Beck's first moment in that kind of situation. They're going to try to be as loud as they can. They'll be doing that swag surfing thing and all the stuff they do there. Uh, they're going to be trying to create, you know, the biggest possible atmosphere they can and Jake Fromm says here's how you overcome that you look at your teammates I trust this guy you believe in yourself enough to kind of create a persona about yourself that allows your teammates to trust you when the bond is strong enough when the trust is great enough and you can go on the road when most of the stadium is cheering against you you can still be fine Jake Fromm's career kind of proves that he was great in road games many many times his first road start at Notre Dame and throughout his career seemed to thrive in big time road opportunities and Carson Beck's got the chance to do that there as well and Jake Fromm I think kind of draws the path out of how all of that can happen I think that's really interesting and that is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily here today now before I Bring on Connor Riley. We'll talk about some of the stuff with Connor here coming up in just a moment. Also, want to continue something that we love doing this time of year. We gave out our first winner yesterday for our Kroger Perfect Moms giveaway. Great collection of gift cards going the way of five moms in our audience. And this is one of those things, boy, if I could give out a, a collection of gift cards to every mom in our audience, you better believe I would do that. We can't do that. So, what we have done is randomly selected from a 
hundreds and hundreds of entrants randomly selected uh, a handful of these to showcase here this week. I want to congratulate today's winner. It's Judy Allen from Watkinsville right there in the uh, Athens area. Judy Allen from Watkinsville, nominated by our daughter, Stephanie. And this is an amazing story. I want to read this to you for a minute. He says, I don't know if I truly, this is Stephanie's words here, if I truly understood how amazing my mom was until I became a mother myself. My mom, Judy, has mothered me through a cancer diagnosis for my oldest daughter when she was just six weeks old, the birth of my second during the unknowns of the beginning of COVID, and the death of my infant son last July. An unbelievably uh, uh, sad set of circumstances, of course. Uh, but uh, Stephanie goes on to say, uh, she is the best mother and grandma, and we wouldn't make it without her. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. So Judy Allen from Watkinsville and a very touching story from her daughter, Stephanie, who shares that right now. Well, first of all, Stephanie, let me just say to you, I am so sorry for what you have gone through and the very significant challenges that you've dealt with. And I appreciate you sharing those with us as we say around here a lot that we're, you know, as a community around Dog Nation, certainly around Dog Nation Daily, we're here for the good times and the and the not so good times. And what you've dealt with is, is truly uh, just a uh, a frightening set of circumstances uh but leaning on family in situations like this is really all we have and i am so proud to know uh that your mother judy has been such a, a rock of support for you and there is something we can all say even those of us who haven't been quite through the challenging scenarios that you faced there is a certain wisdom about our own parents that we do gain when we become parents ourselves and it's the oldest cliche in the book of you know sometimes you sort of think you know, I don't know what my parents are thinking. I don't know what they're talking about. And then later on, you realize, oh, that's what they were thinking. And that's what they were talking about. That's what they were trying to tell me. And then we try to do the same thing with our kids and on and on the cycle goes. So I truly believe, Stephanie, your words are very wise and certainly very deserving to honor your mom, Judy, as our Kroger Perfect Mom here for today. So congratulations to everybody involved there on that. And certainly we appreciate you telling us such a uh, personal and powerful story and a lot of love to both of you here on this Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in our audience coming up on Sunday. And as you get ready to go on Mother's Day, don't forget uh, our friends at Kroger, a great resource for you on that. You want flowers to give out. You want some ingredients for a great meal. A lot of you like to do a sort of the cookout thing for Mother's Day. Or you want um, you know, greeting card, gift card, whatever you, you need for the perfect Mother's Day in your own life. Our friends at Kroger can help you out with that. So stop by and see them in store. Or you can go to Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that. In store or Kroger's doc, Kroger, excuse me, let me try that one more time. Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that today. All right, we'll get back to this conversation here, Georgia football stuff. A lot going on here, including Connor's got a story about ESPN, or I should say at dognation.com about something that the folks at ESPN recently said about the Georgia quarterback situation. I had a slightly different take on this than the ESPN folks. I want to see if Connor agrees on that. We'll do that here coming up in just a moment. Glad to have him and all of you as part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. As I mentioned, Connor's got a story up at DogNation.com right now about the ESPN evaluation of the Georgia quarterbacks. And my take on this is a little bit different than the Worldwide Leaders is. We'll see uh, if Connor agrees with that. Connor, prior to that, let me go where I started today's show. Um, how would you define success for Georgia this upcoming season? Is it national championship or bust? Or could something less than a go for three and 23 still be considered a success for these dogs this year? Let's see if we can crank that noise up. After the Bucks losing the first round? Um, I mean, at this point, yes. I think, you know, it's national championship every year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if they don't win it, this year would be a quote-unquote failure, if, if that makes sense. I mean, the bar is national championship, and – if Georgia's to lose in an SEC championship game to an unbeaten LSU or Alabama or they're to lose in a college football playoff semifinal with Ohio State like they very nearly did a season ago, uh, I, I don't think we'd be sitting there on the postgame show and Dog Nation Daily in the days afterwards saying, you know, this was a truly successful season. But I, I think the other side of that is, you know, so long as you're seeing Georgia do the things that they do and continue to put themselves in – contention to be a national title winner every year where you know they're two three four plays in a game away from you know winning that game and and, and possibly then winning another national championship yes that's going to sting but as Kirby Smart has said time and time again 
his goal at Georgia, it's not specifically stated to, to win a national championship every year. Now, that is slowly, I, I think, maybe becoming the expectation. But he wants Georgia to be in a place where every year they have an incredibly realistic chance to win a national championship. That was not the case with this program before he got here. And now going into year eight, I think that's very obvious. That's where he has this Georgia program. And he's going to do everything he can to maintain that expectation, that standard of excellence. And by the way, I also think that's better for fans too, right? Because Mm -hmm. you can be LSU. You can win a national championship in 2019 and sort of disappear after that. And I'm not quite so sure – that's that great of an experience for those particular Tigers fans. Same thing for another Tigers, Auburn. Auburn won a national championship in 2010. They haven't been heard from since then. So this kind of sounds sort of weird, but in a certain respect, I think that national championships can be overrated in comparison to the joy of seeing your team in the battle each and every year. Like in my lifetime, the Braves only won two World Series. But if I had a great time being a Braves fan, of course I have, because for most of my lifetime, certainly from the time I eighth ninth grade you know for most of my uh a lifetime the Braves have been a part of the story they've been in the playoffs they've been in contention they've given themselves a chance to win and that's sort of all I can ask from you know from Georgia too you know I don't want them to have a better batting average when it comes to championships than Atlanta has had I'll, I'll admit that but if, if if Georgia is a fixture in the college ball playoff conversation Connor, I think that's actually more enjoyable for most fans than the sort of, as Kirby Smart has spoken out against many times, the sort of one-hit wonder programs like what Auburn was, what LSU has probably been like three different times, right? They're a little bit one-hit wonder with uh, Orgeron. Go back to 2007, kind of a one-hit wonder a little bit with uh, with uh, Les Miles. Then prior to that, even with Nick Saban, had a hard time sustaining, sustaining the success after that championship there as well. That being a consistent winner over the course of the long haul, I personally believe as a fan, is more enjoyable for fans. Yeah, I, I can tell you Dog Nation Daily listeners are rolling their eyes here, but look at what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did with the New England Patriots. Uh, they went to nine Super Bowls, I believe, off the top of my head, if I'm remembering the traumatic losses that I've experienced as a fan uh, correctly. Uh, and they won six of them, and they lost three of them. And there were a bunch more conference championship games that they played in as well. And, you know, like, it's unfathomable to think that George, that New England was ever going to go 9-0 and or that Georgia is going to win the national championship every year. But if you're putting yourself in contention every year and you're doing all the things right to, to make sure that you're there, some years you're going to get those breaks. You know, Georgia got them in 2021, I think. They didn't get them in the 2017 season. But you continuously put yourself in position to take advantage of that. More often than not, you're going to find yourself playing for a national title. And in some years, like this past year, you might just happen to find yourself playing an overmatched opponent in either a college football playoff semifinal or even a national championship game with the way this sport is set up. And I think that's not going to change even as this college football playoff expands to 12 teams because you know those those quarterfinal games that we expect Georgia to play, and even you know if they are in a first round game because they don't they don't win the SEC that year. Odds are Georgia's going to be a lot better than the number either 10 team in the country or like the number 7 team in the country just because of how well they recruit and how well Kirby has sustained success at this program. And so while there'll be questions every year, Georgia a year from now they're going to lose they're going to lose Brock Bowers and we're going to be at, sitting here asking, you know, Brock Bowers taking the first round, how do you go about replacing the greatest tight end uh, in recent college football memory and Kirby Smart's probably going to have an answer for that. Yeah, I think that's interesting. The, the kind of framing that you gave earlier, which I think is kind of interesting, is, okay, think about me doing a Dog Nation post-game show. You know, let, if Georgia had lost the game to Ohio State last year, now I hate Ohio State, and I think it would absolutely stink to give a game away to them in our own state, the state of Georgia. That would just would have been a really rotten thing to have happen. But if on the heels of having won a national championship back in the college football playoff, you know, the next year, if Georgia had lost a heartbreaking game at the last minute to Ohio State, would I have done like a super negative post game show after that? I don't believe I necessarily would have. But have Georgia had Georgia lost to Missouri on the road, arguably eliminating them from, you know, possible, you know, opportunity to make the college football playoff, because that's kind of a blemish loss. That's the kind of thing that would be a pretty big blight on your resume. Would we have done a negative post-game show after that? You better believe that we would have. And that's kind of my mindset going forward there as well. If Georgia removes itself from college ball playoff consideration, then I think it's had a bad loss, and that's probably you know going to lead to a bad season. But if Georgia's in the college football playoff, I mean, there is going to be a year sometime in the future where they are not going to win a national championship. However, that is for me to imagine in front of our audience to imagine. There could be a day in the future in which a season ends in which Georgia's not the national champion. 
and I don't necessarily think I'm going to call the season a failure just because the trophy no longer resides in Athens. I, I don't think anyway. Maybe maybe it'll all be situation specific, but but that's I guess kind of the way that it comes down to for me on that. Losing to a team like Ohio State that is as talented as they are, that's not like that's a team that Georgia in theory should lose to or is capable of losing to. Uh, Alabama in the SEC championship game. The reason that that 2021 loss was so frustrating was just. I think because it was Alabama. If you if you put on a different uniform and, and it's, I don't know if it's not Michigan because Georgia's going to blow out Michigan every time they play them. If it's say you know a Texas that somehow gets its act together and does what they did, what Alabama did to Georgia in the 2021 SEC championship game with that talent level that that Alabama team had, you know that you can understand. Your point about Missouri is correct because those are the losses that shouldn't happen to teams that, quite frankly can't match up with Georgia from a talent standpoint. We talk so much about recruiting on this show and in college football, and it is the backbone of this sport. You need to be bringing in elite-level talent, top-level talent. Georgia does that better than anyone. And if that talent is living up to and executing the way it is supposed to, you shouldn't be playing and losing games to Missouri. You shouldn't be playing and losing games to South Carolina in 2019 the way Georgia lost that game that day. And so, you know, if you're losing a game, let's say Tennessee does make another leap and they become a consistent program, as much as it would stink, losing to a team like that isn't the same sort of magnitude as losing to a Missouri. God forbid this happens, losing to a team like this year's upcoming Florida team. Those are the results that shouldn't happen. And if those results start happening, that's maybe when you get a little bit concerned. But, you know, like in 2018, losing to a competent LSU team and then losing to, to Alabama in the SEC championship game, like, that, that's just the cost of doing business and playing really talented teams. So let me say one more thing on this, and it's kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, then we're going to move on and talk about something completely different. So while I agree with everything we're sort of saying here, when it comes to the idea of feeling pressure, you know, that's the, the question that generated the answer that sort of started to this, starts this entire conversation. Here's the one way in which I think that Kirby Smart should feel pressure, and I believe that he does probably feel pressure, whether he admits it or not. These eras sort of have a little bit of a shelf life. Now, sometimes they can be relatively long shelf lives, but they have a little bit of a shelf life. You know, Steve Spurrier was at Florida for 12 years. It seems like he was there for a million years, but he's actually head coach there for slightly more than a decade. You know, Nick Saban has been head coach at Alabama since 2007. It's now 2023. We're kind of one way or another kind of coming to the end of his era. The Clemson era, Dabo Swinney, maybe it's even shorter than that, right? They won a couple of national championships. They were in the playoffs a few years in a row, but we're kind of trying to figure out, are we still in that era or is that era kind of over with now? Uh, this year will kind of tell us a, a little bit about that. So one way or another, we are in the Kirby Smart era at Georgia, and it's it's still going on, but it's not going to last forever. And so if Kirby feels any pressure, the pressure I think that he probably should feel, Connor, is the pressure to maximize your era while you're in it because whether it be you know, a great coach like Nick Saban, even I'll begrudgingly admit a, a great coach at one point in time like Steve Spurrier, no matter how great a coach you are, your era will eventually come to an end and you know Kirby's younger and he's you know you know certainly very healthy so his era may last even a little bit longer than some of theirs did but it's still going to come to an end eventually and maximizing your chance for success while you're in your era is obviously the important job for a coach who's reached the sort of historical stratosphere that Kirby Smart I think kind of finds himself right what makes Nick Saban so different because you know you could mention a Pete Carroll as a guy who had an era an Urban Meyer who had a guy who had who had an era in his time at Florida and want to include the first couple seasons at Ohio State you could what made Nick Saban so different is that he was able to get essentially a second era he had those three titles in 29 in 2009 11 and 12 and then he found a way to get three more in 15 17 and 20 and while the the 20 title I think as we get further and further away from it is a Mickey Mouse title because nobody was playing defense that year because of COVID restrictions you know that is what separates Saban you know to expect Kirby Smart to have a run like that, as great as he is as a coach, as great as he is as a program builder, uh, we're just not at that point yet. And, and so, you know, I keep going back to, and I wrote about this earlier in the offseason, to go back, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch The Last Dance. It's on Netflix right now. The pressure that's just, on, and granted, you know, that's Michael Jordan's his sort of second era there, but you can very clearly see over the course of that documentary just, the toll and the pressure that has built up over trying to win a third title after all that time, all the pressure that sort of comes down to it, even as, you know, you know, is this Georgia team this year going to be the most talented team that Kirby has had in the last two years? It's too early to say that. We don't know how injury situations are going to end up turning out. 
But, you know, that pressure, especially when it gets late in the season, because uh, I'll be honest here, I think Georgia's going 12-0 and in the regular season this year, and then they're mm-hmm. going to get to an SEC championship game where that's probably the first team that they're going to play this year that is capable of beating them, Yeah, I think. And, and so at that point, you know, that SEC championship game, the college football playoff game, and potentially a national championship game, the pressure, especially at that point in the year, is just going to exponentially build. And how Kirby Smart goes about his team, getting his team to sort of block out some of that stuff and try and treat it like this is just us right now in a vacuum, even though it won't be, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting late-season subplots for Georgia. All right, completely different subject here for a moment. Does Auburn on the road September 30th rise to the level of a big game in your mind? Um, it's an interesting game. Uh, you know, we'll see what Hugh Freeze is able to do from a coaching standpoint. Uh, you know, Auburn is being very aggressive in the transfer portal. I think the way that you have to be, uh, especially when you're a first year coach, uh, even knowing that like, not all those guys are going to turn out as transfer portal players. You just have to take, I think as many as you can to try and flip your roster. I think Florida is, is seeing the other side of that. The, the reason I'm sort of torn on this is, uh, one of my best friends from college is getting married that day, and I'm Uh-oh. in that wedding. And so I won't be at that game, but if Dog Nation fans remember, I was also not at the Tennessee game <laughs> last year, which also proved to be a big game. So, you know, who knows? Maybe by the time that game rolls around, somehow Auburn has come out really impressed early on in the season there, and that's a top-five matchup. That would certainly qualify as a big game there. I think there's just a lot of unknowns with what Auburn can ultimately be. And, you know, again – while I commend them for going out and trying to add as many transfer portal players as they have, you know not all of them are going to are going to yeah. work out. You can just look at Georgia and see that and understand that even though you take more guys from the portal, you know the hit rate is still probably going to be about fifty percent. So it's the question of getting the right guys in the right spots there. But you know the thing with Auburn, like their talent, you know from really essentially the end of the Gus Malzahn era, his last year there and then the two years of the Brian Harson era, they were just not recruiting at the level Auburn, quite frankly, should be, and the talent isn't where that is. Well, Hugh Freeze, you know, may be able to scheme some things up. I don't know that it's going to be enough to overcome that against the Georgia team that, look, they've heard all offseason and they're here the whole month of September. Yeah, well, you're not really playing anybody. It's, it's a weak schedule. You know, how great are you really? I absolutely think there's a chance that Georgia sees that game on September 30th as a chance to go out there and make a real statement. I want to finish with this. You have the story up at dognation.com about the ESPN breakdown of the Georgia quarterback situation. I think you and I both kind of like these like little survey things that ESPN does where they look at the various college football programs and kind of give a little bit of a 10,000-foot view on what's going on. I probably find it interesting to see what they write about other teams. I don't always agree with what they write about Georgia, and I think they missed the plot big time on the Georgia quarterback situation. I'm curious to see if you agree. The The basic write-up that I saw, and we'll, we'll eventually talk about this on the show this week, but the basic write-up that I saw sort of treated the quarterback competition as if it was still ongoing, and certainly Kirby Smart's words would lead you to believe that. But I believe the evaluation of Carson Beck has stopped now, and I believe it's about the preparation of Beck for games like Auburn and everything that comes up after that. And that's not to disrespect Brock Vandergrift or Gunnar Stockton. I think both of them are still probably pretty good quarterback prospects. But I think for the average Georgia fan, it's fairly obvious that that Beck is the starter. I think he was, for the most part, treated as the starter on G-Day. Um, I, I think that everybody within the Georgia program kind of knows that's the direction all of this is going. Smart's saying the right thing, but it's not about some sort of subterfuge to keep Vandegrift from transferring. He already said he's not going to transfer. I think ESPN kind of missed the moment in terms of evaluating what happened for Georgia at quarterback this spring. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it, it was interesting the way that it was put in that, you know, like Brock Vandegrift is going to be the quarterback, but if he struggles, they could certainly turn to someone else. I, I just think it's weird to assume that someone like like Carson Beck is going to, to struggle potentially, uh, especially when you look at, A, the early season schedule that they have, but, B, the weapons and infrastructure that Carson Beck is surrounded with. And, look, we've said for a while, I, I think whoever ends up being the starting quarterback is going to succeed at Georgia because of what they have around them. They have, in my opinion, the best offensive line in college football coming back. They have the best, I think, maybe offensive weapon in college football. You could either say Brock Bowers or Marvin Harrison Jr. returning. And, look, I've said it before, and I'll probably keep saying it all offseason. 
this wide receiver room is going to be a difference maker in a way that it has not been under Kirby Smart in quite some time. Uh, Dominic Lovett had a standout spring. Lack McConkey is, is better than I think a lot of people seem to think or seem to realize that he is. Like, and he gets discounted because of what his name is. But if you actually watch him play, I mean, he is he is getting the best of quality SEC defensive backs time and time again. You have Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sane, who's a trusted playmaker on the outside. Arian Smith, if he's able to play all 15 games, is going to make things really difficult for opposing defenses. And so uh, it's interesting to me that they sort of say, oh, well, Carson Beck struggles. I don't think Carson Beck is going to struggle. I think he's going to come in there, and especially because, yes, you open the season with games against UT Martin and Ball State. Those are ready-made situations to get Carson Beck reps, to get him you know, to a point where he should feel somewhat comfortable going on the road at Auburn. But even having discussed a lot about Auburn right now and talking about them a little bit earlier, you know, look, Carson Beck's a veteran at this point. He's entering his fourth year in the program. He knows how to prepare the right way. He's got to ultimately go out there and do that. And if he's able to do that, I have no reason to doubt why he won't go out there and not just you know be adequate, but go out there and succeed, even though he will be a first-time starting quarterback this season. Connor, very fascinating conversation. Look forward to reading a whole lot more from you at DogNation.com there as well. And, of course, back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of George again very soon there as well. Thank you so much for your time. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that the way I would say this is, and we're going to eventually do this on the show, so I don't want to give it all away now, but to me, the thing that ESPN kind of missed with the Georgia quarterback situation is, is that when you want to kind of write, and I'll, I'll read you the quote eventually, and we'll kind of get there on that, but when you want to kind of write the whole idea of, oh, well, if Carson Beck struggles, Kirby Smart's shown you, he'll make a quarterback change during the season. That's obviously what happened in 2021 when JT Daniels was having a hard time staying healthy and Stetson Bennett emerged and became a historic figure in this program. And it almost seems like ESPN's kind of hung up on some of the stuff with the past when it comes to the Georgia quarterback spot. But I think what has happened over the course of the last few months is there's been a little bit of a normalization, like a return to normal for Georgia quarterback. I mean, Beck himself said this. 2020 was weird. When he first got here as, as a freshman, there's no spring practice. You had a weird mix of quarterbacks in the room, and maybe they weren't all on the same page. He didn't really quite elaborate on that, but maybe not everybody kind of singing from the same hymnal when it comes to that situation there at that particular time. And that sort of started a, a, a progression of weirdness for Georgia where Daniels couldn't stay healthy. Newman, I don't even know what, didn't want to compete or whatever else. Dwan Mathis just wasn't that guy. Uh, and then sets a minute out of nowhere becomes, you know, one of the historic figures in the, you know, in, in the program. But now things are kind of getting back to normal where the older, more experienced quarterback looks like he's on his way to winning the starting job. And then the stair steps of progression might be Vandergriff after that, Stockton after that, with a guy like Dylan Riola potentially getting involved here if he eventually uh, commits. By the way, happy birthday, Dylan, uh, for sure. But But the point here is, is that I think what Carson Beck represents is not just a chance for himself to be successful, but an opportunity for Georgia to kind of get back to normal at quarterback again and kind of show that once and for all it has overcome and kind of moved past what was a pretty erratic and chaotic quarterback situation for a good number of years, the kind of thing that could have potentially really harmed a program. Instead, Georgia thrived under those circumstances, eventually won two national championships. One of the reasons why I'll always – give a lot of credit and a lot of praise to Stetson Bennett is because without Stetson Bennett, Georgia could have been a real mess. They may not have always had a capable quarterback, but Bennett was kind of always there for it when it needed it uh, and uh, when it needed him. And uh, certainly the rest was history on all of that. We'll talk more about that later on. For now, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Sitting around yesterday with the uh, family and we were uh, talking a little bit about some shore excursion stuff we're going to be doing. Perfect Day, Coco Cay coming up uh, later on this summer. Uh, right there in Nassau in the Bahamas, we're doing a quick kind of weekend cruise getaway. Nothing better than that. I, I really do truly believe this, that the experience of kind of planning for a vacation and getting ready for a vacation is almost as much fun as the actual vacation itself. We just love that around my house. And so I encourage you to have your own experience with that, too. Whether it's a three-night quick getaway, you want the four-night cruise. You know, we took the Dog Nation cruise back in April. That's what that was. We kind of arrived at the port there on a Monday. We were back off the ship on a Friday. So you got a great taste of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And you didn't really impact either of your weekends, the weekend before, the weekend after. It's kind of a nice, convenient thing. 
But maybe for some of you, like, I've heard you talk about all the great experiences on board one of these Oasis-class ships. I want one of those seven-night sailings. I want the big, full Royal Caribbean experience. I can certainly understand why you would. So a great travel agent makes this experience even better for you. So we recommend Jessica Slater, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and Jessica can help you plan a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. All right, let's get to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. I saw where Jalen Hyatt, third-round selection of the New York Giants at wide receiver, in his introductory press conference with the Giants, was kind of facing some tough questions about his ability to kind of run what you call the full route tree. You know, in a Tennessee offense, which I think has been criticized for being overly simplified, uh, simplistic maybe even, uh, maybe not always showcasing what the NFL wants to see from some of its guys. In fact, the NFL draft, I believe, was a little bit of a rebuke against Tennessee because after all was said and done, Hendon Hooker was only a third-round quarterback. You know, guys like Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, they were only third-round wide receivers. Even though this Tennessee offense produce, uh, produces prolific stat lines, ultimately those stats were not enough to sway the NFL draft scouts who just see a, a level of simplicity with the Tennessee offense that is not, in their mind, particularly translate well to the NFL, at least as appearances go. In fact, the questions that Hyatt faced were so uh, tough that Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, uh, he came out, I think on social media or whatever, in defense of Jalen Hyatt on all this. Of, oh, why are you guys just asking this guy so many tough questions? You know, he's he's going to be fine or whatever it was that he said. So kind of coming out and defending Jalen Hyatt there on that. All of this matters. All of this matters because if you're not careful as Josh Heupel, and listen, I'll tell you right now, Josh Heupel is an expert coach at running his offense. But what the jury is still out on is what his offense is in terms of how it produces for the NFL. There is a way in which some of this kind of like, you know, spread them out, throw the ball a million times a game. There is a way in which some of this very, very schematically specific offensive stuff feels a little bit about a little bit like the old Paul Johnson triple option. In fact, the comparison even make Kirby Smart has thought about how preparing for an offense like Tennessee is a little bit like preparing for an offense like Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech because of how specific it is. Well, ultimately, with the exception of like a Bebe Thomas, you know, the Paul Johnson offense at Georgia Tech just did not produce high level NFL players. It just did not, and they were kind of staying away from that. Now. That was because, well, they're running it and not really throwing it very much. But this is a Tennessee offense that's throwing it a lot. But if it's doing it in a very specific way, and, you know, Hyatt, when he was in college, we talked about this prior to the game uh, that Georgia played against Tennessee. It seemed like every one of his catches, every one of his touchdowns, he was the only guy on the TV screen. There wasn't a defensive player within 10 yards of him, 20 yards of him, and some of the catches that he made, which is a testament to how well Heupel was kind of dictating his system at the college level. Now, it didn't work against Georgia, but it had worked certainly against a, a lot of other programs. But the NFL scouts, the, the, the GMs, the people making NFL personnel decisions on draft night, they weren't all that impressed by it. And so I'm not saying that's going to continue to be true. Josh Heupel's still early days as Tennessee coach. I think he's made a pretty big impact through two years. I, I think that's the case. But there is a skeptical evaluation taking place of his offense right now from the NFL level, and it's just, that's just objectively factually true. And what Heupel does to respond to that, the kind of playmakers he cultivates, this year's going to have a chance. You know, they're going to be a lot – the same way that guys like Anthony Richardson and uh, 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 what's his name, Will Levis from Kentucky got a lot of sort of draft hype because of big throwing arms, things like that. Joe Milton, if he maintains his status as the Tennessee starting quarterback, he's going to get some of that for this upcoming year. If not him, uh, Nico Yamaleva uh, may overtake the freshman, and he may become the starter. Uh, either one of these two quarterbacks will have a chance to have, at least in the eyes of some right now, a bright NFL future. But actually capitalizing on that being a high draft pick going to be pretty important. The next wide receiver in line in a place like Tennessee is supposed to be Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy's transferred 57 times, but he's finally kind of settled in there at Tennessee. Being the kind of wide receiver that proves that he's more than just sort of a system player or kind of a, a, a successful prolific player in a certain scheme that's going to be important so Jalen Hyatt taking tough questions from the New York media matters down here in SEC country it sort of speaks to the level of criticism that that Josh Heupel has still got to answer for during his time there at Tennessee pay attention to that I thought this was interesting Auburn has added another transfer player we talked yesterday about adding quarterback wide receiver and now it's offensive lineman uh, Jaden Muskrat's his name it's from Tulsa now there are two points to make here 
First of all, this is Hugh Freeze continuing to make good on a promise that he put out near the end of their spring practice, which was no one was going to be more aggressive in the transfer portal than Auburn was. They're going to seek four or five starter-level players. And I'd say when you bring in quarterback from Michigan State, wide receiver from Ohio State, now offensive lineman here, you're potentially doing that, right? Uh, so, so for a program like, say, Florida by comparison that's only been able to bring in one transfer player thus far this spring – Clearly, by comparison, Auburn's been much more successful than that, uh, so you have to give Hugh Freeze some credit for that. But here's another thing I want to mention here on a completely different subject. And I talked to you all about this the other day. I think one of the most telling things with the transfer portal right now is just how soft the market is for offensive tackles. The idea that one of the best offensive linemen available is a guy like Jaden Muskrat from Tulsa. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to you know mock you know Muskrat. I'm sure he's a fine young man. But this is not exactly you know Paris Johnson here, right? I mean, this is not exactly uh, Broderick Jones here. This is a guy who I think I've sort of, if you read about this online, things like that, this is a guy who was kind of okay for Tulsa in the AAC, and all of a sudden now this is a coveted offensive lineman from Auburn. Same thing Ohio State dealt with. You'll remember the other day we made the comparison between Georgia, who may have at least three offensive tackles it feels pretty good about, potentially even four, whereas the Ohio State Buckeyes doing everything they can just to find two they can start. And that's a playoff-level, national championship contending team, yet they feel very, very concerned about their offensive tackle depth. Auburn having to go to Tulsa to get what might be an offensive line starter here. Y'all, this ought to be eye-opening to you. And the thing that makes Georgia Georgia right now as much as anything is the level of depth that it has along its offensive line. And the emergence of a guy like Austin Blasky, who I'll be completely honest, when he signed with Georgia, I didn't think one thing about him. And the fact that Blasky apparently went toe-to-toe, head-to-head with a guy like Ernest Green this spring, and that if Georgia had to start either guy at the tackle spot, they might feel okay with either guy. That is a luxury that Georgia has right now that even other national championship contending programs don't necessarily have. And longtime SEC rivals like Auburn, they definitely don't have it. So bottom line, good for Auburn for going out and getting another transfer player, but eye-opening that the kind of transfer-level offensive linemen that people are covering right now are guys from Tulsa who are not exactly world beaters. It just sort of speaks to how scarce true quality at those important positions are right now. Georgia's got it, and that's one of the things that makes Georgia Georgia. All right, very quickly on kind of a similar subject here for a moment. Uh, we talked last week about uh, Alabama baseball betting scandal that's certainly kind of put that program in hot water. It is seemingly kind of expanded here a little bit. Um, now, Iowa, Iowa State baseball players being investigated for some sort of uh, odd activity, it sounds like. And I think in a roundabout way, some of this may end up being good for college athletics because I think what a lot of folks are going to kind of find out here is if you place a sizable bet on a college baseball game, it is not going to fly under the radar. And the same thing is kind of true for college basketball and things like that. You know, pretty substantial amount of money in most cases being bet on high-level football games. But other sports, that's just not the case. So sports books always notice when you win. And this is one of those things you just got to be aware of. They expect you to lose. If they think you're going to win, they just simply won't take your bet. That's that's just the way it kind of goes. And anybody who's had any kind of like, you know, sort of edge in the past, proven themselves to be a winner, they can tell stories about that. The sports books know something's up because you won. And uh, in this particular case, when it comes to college baseball, you may be the only guy that bet on the game. And so if you won – and you're the only guy that bet on it, they assume you must know something you're not supposed to know. And so it's just sort of easy to kind of identify some of this kind of stuff. So this is going to probably be a little bit of a uh, of a message to other college athletes or college coaches, whatever else, of you think it's cute to kind of go out there and do this, but it's going to take them five seconds to figure out what's going on because you're not supposed to win. And when you do win, they start investigating and kind of see what's going on there on that. So just kind of keep that in mind when it comes to stuff like this. More baseball teams allegedly trying to take advantage of the fact that some of these games are booked at various uh, sports books. And then uh, finally, I'll give you this. Talk about Paul Feinbaum a little earlier. He also sound out, sounded off on Alabama AD Greg Byrne the other day. It's obviously been a very strange year for Alabama athletically. And if not for the presence of Nick Saban as the football coach, we'd probably be noticing these things even more. The weird issue around uh Alabama basketball and obviously the murder that kind of marred that uh program this season now the baseball coach involved in the betting scandal there have been other weird things going on uh, athletes being arrested and things like that so uh right now Greg Byrne the Alabama athletic director starting to feel a little bit of heat it sounds like 
in terms of just what is sort of look like a little bit of a sloppy year there around Alabama. Too early to tell if this is going to have legs, if it's going to develop into something, but hard not to notice a lot of folks asking some tough questions about Burn right now. So keep your eyes on that for the future, and we will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we wrap up here today, speaking of Ohio State, a team that I have no love for whatsoever, uh, there was a funny thing the other day, and speaking of sports books, the Barstool Sports Book, uh, which is, I guess has also been the news lately for very strange reasons, too. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they put out a thing on Twitter the other day of the Ohio State logo, and the Barstool Sports Book asked, who's the first player you think of when you see this logo? Well, our buddy Bodog on Twitter, at MerriweatherDog, shares a picture of Javon Bullock which is quite appropriate. And anytime I see the Ohio State logo, anytime in the future, you better believe Bullard will be on my mind because of what Bullard did there that day, bring home defensive MVP honors in the Peach Bowl as Georgia beat Ohio State and went on to win its second straight national championship. Good stuff. Bo will give you a golden shoe. By the way, lousy, stinking Gators. We don't think anything about them right now, but we do know this. 172 days from right now, Georgia beats them again. We'll see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.